Greetings and blessings this morning from the one that gives us what we need. He can give us that heart that is pure and clean. But you know, we have to give it to him for him to do his work in it. Appreciate that song, especially the last verse as it relates to consideration that is before us this morning. Thy nature, gracious Lord, in part, come quickly from above. Write thy new name upon my heart, thy new best name of love. Quickly from above uh, makes you think of Christ's return, but that's not a, what was in focus. I believe here it's immediately, I need help and make my heart function like it's supposed to with the love of God causing it to beat properly. Uh, that's how I would interpret the, the author's <clears throat> phrasing there. And if he was thinking, or yeah, if the author was thinking of something different, uh, excuse me, but that's what I want you to think anyway. <clears throat> because it lends itself to our message this morning. For message this morning, I've been thinking for a while about how to bring together some thoughts that came to me as I was reading from Scripture some time ago. There was a thought that kept coming back and and uh, wasn't sure exactly how to approach it. But I was reading in 2 Corinthians verses chapter 8 and 9 where the focus is giving, proper attitude toward giving. And I saw something there that I felt like was more than about giving. Actually, giving is, in our relationship to our, our attitude toward giving, actually is an indicator about something deeper. And so as I meditate on that and I studied, I came to realize that, yes, that's true. There's something God wants us to understand and to live out in our life that is reflected in our attitude toward giving. And so I want us to give some consideration to these thoughts this morning. I've given the title to, to the message, this title, simple. It's this, it's God is able. Do we ever question God? Do we ever doubt that God is able to do what he said he can do? Do we ever doubt whether he's able to meet our needs and to supply what we need? We may not really outright doubt God, but there's times when we take actions that indicate that we don't trust God. We attempt to do things our way sometimes because, well, why? It actually turns out sometimes that we don't really trust God enough. And so we've got to do it in a way that we're satisfied that we're being able to take care of our situation. But God is able to do all that we need. The verse that, that really stood out to me was verse 8 of chapter 9. And it is associated with this thought of giving. But this is the verse that caught my attention and took me beyond giving. It's this. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you 
that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Now, is God able? Does, does that apply to more than, than our financial needs that we are willing to separate from and, and, and share with? I believe it is, and that's the thought that kept growing in my perspective as I thought about this message and, and life itself. Is God able? Do we acknowledge that he's able by the way we live? And I have a little story to tell you. Something that happened this week. Actually, just the other night. I was working on a project that I was really wanting to get finished that evening. And it was getting fairly late in the evening. And the grandson showed up with a problem. They said, Dad's not home and we've got a problem. Indicated that they had the four-wheel drive loader tractor stuck in the river. And they expected me to help them out. Now, you farmers understand the dilemma that I'm facing already. A four-wheel drive tractor stuck, and the only thing I have is a two-wheel drive, two drive tractor to get them out. And there's, you know, my mind started whirling. I see this as being a long night adventure. One tractor stuck, then another tractor stuck, and then maybe another one until we finally got the big enough one from the neighbor. Uh, Justin, we didn't, we, we, we knew you might be available if we called. <clears throat> and so it was like, why do we have to face this? Now, it's late. And this looks like it could really take us into the night. And so I started thinking and planning and we moved into the situation. Some of you men especially would know what it would be like to hook a chain to a tractor that's sunk into the axles in mud. With another tractor with less traction maybe and just hook a chain to it and try to pull. It, it just looks hopeless. And so I thought about, well, maybe if we give a little extra, I wish I had one of those nylon ropes, you know, you can get some momentum and, and that helps bring things out. Uh, the chopper crew knows all about that. That's the way they get things out of the mire that are stuck really bad. But I didn't know where one of those was. I used to have one, but it broke and rotted over the years, and so that wasn't available. But I thought of this long chain laying in the drive, laying in the lane that we uh, somebody had used. Um, and for perspective, this chain is 80 feet long. It's made of three-quarter inch loops, uh, links. And so it's a heavy chain. And when I say heavy, I'm talking like 600 pounds worth. It, you don't just throw it on your pickup truck. Uh, when I bought this thing years ago, I happened to be in a, a used car dealer lot. It was just a one-horse uh, used car lot, old cars. And I stopped in there to check about buying an engine, uh, an old car that had an engine fit in my pickup truck. And I saw this chain laying on the ground, through the weaving through, around through the cars, and I said, that's quite a chain. I said, uh, is it for sale? He said, yep. I said, how much you want for it? He said, dollar a foot. I said, I'll be back. So I didn't have any money in my pocket. 
And I had two calves to sell, and I thought, you know what? I think those calves will live immortally if I can just trade them for that chain. So um, that's not the right term. But anyway, that happened. Anyway, this, this chain was laying there, and I thought, well, that would give us enough distance to get a run and start, and it'd have enough strength that it wouldn't break. And a little momentum would help. And so I was making these plans, and we went to the river, and we got as close as we could with the tractor, and it started spinning. And so we had to drag that chain the rest of the way, but we were close enough that the chain reached, and we took a three-quarter-inch bolt and bolted that chain to the drawbar on, on, the tract, on both tractors, and we tightened it really tight. So one of the boys said, is it going to break? And I said, no, the chain won't break. It won't come loose from the tractor. Nothing's going to fly apart. There might be a jolt, but I don't think it'll fly apart. And so they were hoping that was right. And so we dug some mud away from the tires on the four-wheel drive tractor to give it a little bit of help maybe getting up out of the, the mud. And I got in, in the big tractor that's only two-wheel drive. It, it has enough power to do it, but a lot of power to be able to spin and sink it. So that was a concern. So I, I gave instructions, what gear, how much speed on the tractor. When I start moving, I want those wheels on that four-wheel drive to start running backwards because we all got to work together. And I got in the tractor, and I put it in a, medium gear and before I took off I thought, no a little higher so I went to the third low and I revved it up and I sat there thinking let me see ah, a little bit more so I gave it a little bit more and I let out on the clutch and took off and one of the boys was watching said that tractor kind of did a wheelie well we were sitting in kind of muddy soft ground and and but it's got good tires on it, good big radials. So, and I uh, told them to we packed the mud down a little bit. It might give me more traction. We'd done that. I took off, and I was probably doing eight mile an hour or more till the chain got tight. And when it got tight, I didn't stop. I, I was looking back, and, and the tractor just came along with me. And I asked Eric, did you get a jolt? And he said, no, it just came up out of the mud. And we were out. And it was like, whew, that sure was nice. It could have been a long night. This is, this is over now. As long as it didn't sink in again before we got out of the river. <laughs> I'd just like to make, draw some, oh, by the way, and Eric said, why? Or we were saying, why does this have to happen? Here it is late. We didn't have to, this is inconvenient. We would rather not face this kind of a problem. But Eric said, you know, there was some reason for this. And I appreciated his faith. And I got to thinking about it more and more. And, and I thought, you know, there is a reason possibly. And maybe that reason is I, it illustrates what I want to talk about this morning better than anything else I could share. There's probably better illustrations, but it should work. I want you to think a little bit now about that situation, I want to give some perspectives to how this illustrates God at work in our lives. 
I may just wait a little bit and, and give you some more of the details as we go. But what I want us to think about is that, I don't like to say this, but in this illustration, they came to me for help. So I represent God in this situation. It was a prayer, their prayer. We're in trouble. We need help. And they came to Gramps. Daddy wasn't around. And I used something, a tool that we had on the farm that was power. And I want us to think about that as God's grace this morning. God has power. All he needs for any situation. Can you think of any situations in the Bible where people were frantically in trouble and they called out to God and he demonstrated his power and got them out of their problem? I'm going to let you think a little bit. There are many. The one that's my favorite, I guess, one of my favorites, is when the children of, of Israel came out of Egypt and they got to the Red Sea. There was this, this broad, expansive water. And behind them, they were pinned in on mountains on three sides. They were in a, in a valley. Uh, I say a valley. They were in a cove, a large cove, but a cove. There was no way out except the way they had come. And the way they had, the way they had come was filled up with an army that was out to, to destroy them. There they were, an impossible situation. And they told Moses, this is crazy. You brought us out here to just get rid of us, so you're done with us. There's no way out. Their human reasoning had them at the end, and there was no future. And Moses cried out to God, and he extended his grace. He provided a way. His way was to open up the sea so they could just go through on dry land. God was able. He provided a way. It seemed impossible. Do we experience that in life? Well, there's a little slight way that we felt that way Friday evening, right, Eric? There's just no way to get that tractor out, and it was supposed to rain and snow and get worse. And the worst thing was we didn't want Dad coming home when there was a tractor stuck in the river. <clears throat> yeah, we face those things at times, and sometimes they're just spiritual issues, or they can be other issues that we feel like there's no way out. We need help, and God is able. Now, God does things different than we would think in our own rationale. The boys had chains, but they were small. I think any of them would have broken if we used them the way we used that one. And, and yet, that's all the boys could think of. They knew, I think, in their hearts that this is an almost impossible situation, but we'll give Gramps an opportunity. Often, we try to figure it out, and then we get to the end of ourselves. We realize maybe we break the chains. Maybe we make, mess, uh, make, make a mess of things sometimes, and then we finally, oh, yeah, maybe we better trust God more, and we, we open ourselves to him. Well, what's that have to do with giving? It has to do with the grace that is behind all this, and, and we're going to talk more about grace. But let's read in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We have, um, we won't read it all, but some verses here I want to introduce us to that lead us into uh, chapter 9. 
Get us Second uh, Corinthians chapter eight. <clears throat> Beginning at verse one, I'll read through verse seven, and you'll notice that we're uncovering that word grace. Moreover, brethren, we do not we do to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. I'm going to just pause here and say, I noticed in another translation it says it this way, and brothers, we make known to you the grace of God, which has been given among the churches of Macedonia. And so we have the grace of God mentioned here. It's the knowledge of the grace, that, that word to wit is re referring to knowledge or knowing. I'm, I'm introducing you to this knowledge of the grace of God bestowed on the church. And then he goes on to explain some things here. How that, verse 2, how that in a great trial of affection, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For by their power, or this word power, understand, would be interpreted or could be replaced with the word ability. For to their ability, I bear record, yea, and beyond their ability, they were willing of themselves praying us or asking us with much entreaty that we receive this gift, the gift, and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God, insomuch that we desired of Titus that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and all diligence in all your love for us. See that ye abound in this grace also. So he's talking about the fact that, that the, uh, the church at Macedonia were sharing... <clears throat> with the church at Corinth. And he says they, and, and I'm not sure exactly what the need was. There was, there was a, a drought at one time that the churches were uh, in, in dire straits. There were different things, different times. And I, I uh, failed to, to sort this one out. But it, they, they had a real need. And the church of Macedonia saw, saw an opportunity to, to help. And I believe they were moved by, by God to, to share because of their love for God, they have this, this uh, response to that love by, by God's grace at work in their lives, giving them that desire to help others. That's, that's how God's love works. When we love God and we experience his love, then we will demonstrate that love and let it flow. That's what was happening. And they were putting feet, hands and feet to this love. They were going to send money to those that were in need. And Paul said they even did it beyond what I would have expected. They, they were, their liberality was greater than I would have expected or even wanted them to do. They, they went really beyond themselves. And they begged us to share this with you. And then he says in verse 7, this is, this is what I want us to notice. This is how this verse uh, leads into explaining the verse in chapter 9 that, uh, that caught my attention. It says, Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, and knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us, to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. The challenge is to abound in this grace of sharing and giving, 
but it should only be a grace that's part of a larger packer, package of what's happening in our life. The, the whole scope of grace of the grace of God at work in our life will produce this desire to share, to give, and to, to make love a reality by helping those in need. Just a moment here to look at the word grace. Identify what it is, define it. Now it can be defined in, in many ways and it has so many uh, different perspectives to consider. We can't look at them all this morning. But to just boil it down, so to speak, to uh, a usable definition for what we're looking at. And actually this is the definition that I, I gained from uh, Strong's and, and this is kind of a definition Definition, but it has opportunity built in for a lot of other considerations that we're not going to be able to flesh out. But grace, it's the graciousness or the gratifying aspect of, of uh, an act or something that's taking place. Abstract or concrete, literal, figurative, or spiritual. Especially, especially now this is, is, you see all those other things that are to be uh, in focus. We can look at it as something that's abstract or something that's concrete, literal, figurative, or spiritual. But then it says, especially the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. The divine influence of the heart. That's God at work. That's his love being multiplied, or let me say it this way, it's God's love that is radiated and reflected from us into other lives. I'm going to read this again. It's the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. And then it goes on to, to say how, what, how this works out, including gratitude, things that are acceptable, things that are beneficial, favors, gifts, Grace or grace or graciousness, joy, liberality, liberality, pleasure, thanks or thankworthiness. These are all attitudes and 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 uh, experiences that come through this functioning of grace in our life. But it all boils down to the the reality that it's because of connection with God, and it's His power flowing into our life that generates the, the reality of his virtue then being shared through us to others. That's grace at work. And what I wanted us to think about was <clears throat> that's a tremendous power we're connected to. That, we, that God can, can shine, beam that grace into our life and it can be reflected out to others. Others can experience a tremendous Reality of God's goodness and his, his graciousness because we are involved in something in a connection with God. And so in our illustration, we had this chain between the two tractors. That was the connection. I mentioned that, that the operator of the tractor represented God. The tractor itself represented God's grace or the power to make it happen. But I want us to think about that chain is the connection between God and that, that that power was related back to the other vehicle. I like to use that to illustrate the Holy Spirit. 
at work, communicating back and, and bringing that power into the situation where it's needed, bringing the energy that needed to move things into reality. That's the Holy Spirit. Now, what's our part? We're the ones stuck in the mud. How do we stay connected to that power, that grace that's transmitted through the Holy Spirit into our life? What we used was a big three-quarter inch bolt, and we used wrenches to make sure it was tight. What is our connection? What connects us to the Holy Spirit and to that reality of grace that God wants to flow into our lives? It's faith. It's all there. It can be there. It can be all laid out. But if one of the boys would have said, I forgot the bolt, we would have been in trouble. There'd been no way for all this opportunity to have worked with just one bolt missing. It wouldn't have worked. We could have tied string. We could have, we could have put a little chain on it. We could have done a whole lot of things in an attempt to make it work. I don't think it would have happened properly. We wouldn't have been successful. It took that bolt, and that bolt in our illustration is defined as faith in our experience with God and connection to the realities that God wants to flow and bring us out of our problems, to not just our problems, but to bring us into the, the spiritual realities that he wants us to experience is, is beyond us. And so it's God's grace that he wants to bring into our lives or bring us into his grace so that he can demonstrate himself. You know, it's kind of interesting. I really dreaded the rest of the evening when I got the news. I, I was really dreading the rest of the evening. But when it was over, I was kind of glad it happened. You know, it, it was kind of uh, elating to realize that we, we put ourselves to it, we did the best we could, and we did some thinking and figuring and, and really put ourselves into it. And I was so happy that the boys were willing to put themselves into it and help me because that chain was heavier than I could drag. But they got a hole there, and, and among the three of us, we got that thing pulled up to that other tractor. <clears throat> but God loves us, and he provides. It's there. It's, it's, all we have to do is, is, is put the bolt in. <laughs> we need to acknowledge that and then by faith accept and latch on to those truths. And that's what I want us to think about this morning. Are we properly latching on to provisions of God's grace that are available? Are we allowing him to bring all the power and blessing into our lives that he wants to? Or do we limit him? Like it says in Psalm 78, 78, 14, I believe it is. Uh, it's, it's 41. Psalm 78, 41 says, yea, speaking of the children of Israel, when they provoke God in the wilderness, in verse 40, says, how oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? They remember not his hand. I'm sorry. Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They limited God. You know, it's, it's kind of hard to think that we can limit God. God is, uh, is limitless. By the way, thinking about God's um, being able to, to do anything. When I was young, someone said to me, think about this, or answer this question. 
Is God able to create a rock bigger than he can lift? You see, we have a, we have a problem here. Um, God can do anything, but can he do anything? Can he do everything? Well, in my finite mind, I wasn't able to answer that question, and I still can't, except to say that yes, yes. God can create it, then he can lift it. He's able to do anything. And often there are situations in our lives where it looks big, and it looks bigger than what God can handle. But you know what? He's promised us to be there. If we, in sincerity, surrender to him and give ourselves totally to him and give the situation to him, he'll make it happen the way he, it should happen for his glory and for our eternal good. Not always for our physical good, our financial good, but eternal good is the way it'll work out. He promises that. <clears throat> well, my, my thought was we, we can limit God by lacking faith. If we don't put faith in the provision, then God can't do what he said he wants to do. Now, I want to go back and finish in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'd like to read verse 8 and 9 yet. It says, I speak not by commandment, Paul writing to the Corinthian church, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that through, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye should, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Jesus set the standard for giving. He set the standard for God. He set the standard for himself. He set the standard for us. What is the standard? Is giving till it hurts. Giving even though it hurts. We don't always have to give till it hurts, but that's, that really tests the limits of our love is when we are willing to give when we, it costs us something. When there's a sacrifice, we won't necessarily be paid back. We're still willing to give. You see, that's the basic premise of the gospel. Jesus gave himself in death. God gave his only begotten son for a need that was bigger than we were. He gave it. It cost. Jesus said, or Paul says that, that mentions several times about the church which Jesus purchased with his blood. And so there's a basic fundamental reality in, in, in the gospel that we want to be part of the gospel reality. We need to be able to honor this reality. And that is that we're willing to submit ourselves to God and trusting him and having kind of faith that says you can do it. You do it your way. I'm here at your disposal. And, and I claim the promise. Now I want us to go over to chapter 2 verse 9 and look at the promise. <clears throat> Again, we've already looked at it once. Now I want to begin reading at verse 6 in chapter 9 verse, uh, yeah, verse 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, but God loveth a cheerful giver. Now this is talking about sharing with money, finances. But it goes beyond that. The principle of the gospel is involved here. This is just one aspect of that. 
And you'll notice in verse 8 it says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye should, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things, not just in money, sufficiency in all things, may abound unto every good work, not just in giving, but in every good work. This is the principle that giving just shows it up. It's a demonstration or an illustration of the broader spiritual realities of what God can do and what he wants to do in our lives. He wants every work to be done, to be happening because of our trusting in him, our connection by faith to the Holy Spirit, to allow the, the force of the grace of God to flow into our life so that everything we do in obedience to God is done by the power of God at work. It's not us. It's the power of God. But it happens when we submit ourselves by faith to stay connected and to surrender ourselves, die to ourselves so that we can be connected to that source. And Jesus was the illustration. He was example. And we need to simply follow. You see, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he pled with his father to come up with another plan, another program if possible, because he, he didn't like what he's going to face. He dreaded it. It was suffering. It was a, a suffering reality in his mind. And yet he said it before he finished that plea was, nevertheless, whatever you, you, your will is, I'll be willing. In my words. And that's the example. That's the illustration. That's what he wants us. That's where he wants us to be um, coming from in our daily walk with him. Our faith, it took faith for Jesus to say that. You know, <coughs> he had to believe his father, and his father said, I'll, I'll give you the power to come up from the dead. But he hadn't experienced that yet. He had to have faith. As a man, he had to believe his father in that. And that's only what, what could take him through. He believed in that. He trusted that. And we have to have that same faith connection. Uh, reading on, verse 9 of chapter 9, as it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sowing, and increase, now notice this phrase, and increase the fruits of your righteousness. You see, as we're involved in this process, God is blessing us. And he makes it possible for us to, to obediently live out the virtues that are of are God himself. And the virtues we saw in the life of Jesus, they become our virtues. That's righteousness. They become us, or we become that. Back in verse 6, it says this. He, it mentions about sowing sparingly shall reap sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap bountifully. In several instances in the Old Testament, we have reference to these thoughts, this, this, this uh, mindset or this <clears throat> reality. In... Uh, commentator said this says here uh, referring to this verse verse six here almsgiving is represented as a seed sowing which shall bring forth a crop if we sow if if the sowing is liberal 
and the seed good, their crop will be good too. But in the Old Testament, it says this, it says, uh, he says, Psalms, uh, sowing is used among the Jews to express almsgiving. Sowing and almsgiving were uh, the illustration, the, sowing was the illustration of almsgiving. So they understood when Isaiah wrote in chapter 32, verse 20, blessed are ye who sow beside the waters. In other words, uh, are ready to sow every opportunity you have. Willing to give alms, to share uh, in, liberal, in a liberal way. That was what they, they understood, that sowing meant. Also in Hosea chapter 10, verse 12, it's, uh, they would interpret this. Sow to yourselves almsgiving, and ye shall reap in mercy. If you show mercy to the poor, God will show mercy to you. And so this is a, a principle that has, has always been that in giving, we are actually allowing God uh, to show himself abundant and able, and it's also a demonstration of our faith in God. Now, I'd like to go to 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm sorry, chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. And notice some references here to faith, faith and, and the uh, reality of faith in our life. Beginning at verse 3, reading through verse 9. <clears throat> Actually, I'll read through more than that. I'll, I'll read through verse 9 and then make some comments, and I'd like to continue reading. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith. That's the phrase I want you to hang on to. We're kept by the power of God through faith. That just verifies what I've been saying this morning. Unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now... For a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, and whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. You see the results of faith. In believing, you rejoice with joy and experience the fullness of his glory. And so if you're struggling with joy and power, uh, check that bolt on the drawbar. Check your faith. Do you really believe God says, means what he says? And by the way, if you think you can get by without knowledge of what God said, uh, be advised that you can't have faith in something you don't know. Knowledge is crucial for us to be able to have faith. That's why we need to have that regular devotional life. That's why we need to challenge each other over the word of God in church on a Sunday morning. That's why the word of God needs to be part of our, our living, breathing experience because it's from the word of God that we find the promises of God that we have something to put our faith in. 
And so if your faith is weak, it may be that your, your knowledge has waned or your memory of the knowledge of God has waned. You need to freshen it up. Go back to the word of God. Look at the promises. Find the promises and believe them. Accept them. And then you'll have that joy. It says you can rejoice with joy unspeakable, full of glory. Verse 9, receiving the end of your faith. Or the, the word end there isn't the end. It means the, the completion or the development of your faith. <clears throat> Even to the salvation of your souls. Now I want to continue reading. And notice the word grace and the illustration of Christ as, it, as he demonstrated to us how this all works. Verse 10 of 1 Peter 3. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Understand, life isn't always a, a piece of cake. It's not always easy street. And we see in Jesus that he was willing to suffer without understanding that glory will follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister. This is speaking of the prophets again. <clears throat> but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you. Again, the gospel. What is the gospel? What did they, what did they preach unto you that carries this message. <clears throat> well, the gospel came down to us, this connection between God and us, with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Verse 13, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, or revisit the knowledge. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace of that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Now I just want to make this comment. It talks about the, that the grace of God that's going to appear when Jesus is revealed. And we think of that as the grace that's going to be completely available when Christ returns. We're going to experience the power of God that's going to take us out of here. But I believe it's also more than that. I believe that reference has a day-to-day -day reality. And that is that when Christ is revealing himself to us in our heart, we're experiencing the grace. And I say that because of the way it, it brings us all together. <clears throat> it talks about being obedient children, not fashioning ourselves, and this is an ongoing reality, not fashioning ourselves according to our previous experience and, and lust that was in our ignorance or in the time of not having knowledge. But as it's written, we should be holy in all manner of conversation. Every aspect of life should demonstrate the righteousness of God, his holiness. But I want you to notice two words in that phrase in verse 15. It says, be ye. And we think often that we have to do things to please God. Obedience is very important. You notice he just said that, that we need to be living obediently. But obedience is simply an outward demonstration of who we are, what we are, what our faith really is. 
You see, being is what's important. Doing will happen because of what we are. I think too often in our finiteness, in our physical realities of life, we have this uh, understanding that we need to do things the right way. That's true. But those doings need to be an outworking of our faith connection with God and our, our surrender to the gospel, which means dying to self, allowing the grace of God to be at work, and then the reality of what we do will work right. And we'll have the power to do it right if we're connected right. If we're not connected by faith, but we're just trying to do things to please God, we're not going to get out of the mud. We're going to be spinning and spinning our wheels, and it'll be frustrating. And we probably find ourselves there sometimes. Like, God, why isn't things working? Why, is my, why don't I have joy? Why, why is all this frustration? We stop and think and pray and seek God. Draw near to him. Acknowledge the knowledge that we have had and that we do have about who he is and that he's able and that we believe it and accept it and operate on it. Then our life will be holy. We'll be operating in righteousness. We will have that, that the spirit directing us in holiness. And our life of holiness will manifest itself. Verse 16 goes on to say, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, notice I've mentioned prayer and seeking God. If ye call on the Father, who without respect to persons, judgeth according to every man's work. Oh, we actually judge ourselves by our work sometimes too. We think we're doing the right things, it's not bringing the right results. We're actually judging ourselves, so to speak. <clears throat> but our works do tell on us as to who we are. Things will show up. Our conversation, our lifestyle will reflect those realities. I'm going to skip a couple of verses here uh, down to verse 22. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth, how? Through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. This is one of the major mileposts for evaluating the power of God at work in our lives is how are we loving others? How is our love demonstrating itself to others? That doing will be happening. And I want us to think a little bit about what love is. Love is considering others' needs more important than my own. Love is willing to make a sacrifice for the good of others above my own desires. God demonstrated it, Jesus demonstrated it, and we've lived it. We know what it is, but we also know what it is to think about self first and withhold things that others really should be experiencing from us. We know both sides of that. The challenge is that we have that faith connection and the power of grace connection to the point that, that our life is, is demonstrating the love of Christ to others around us. <clears throat> he goes on to say here, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God. There it is again, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. It needs to be flowing through us. Romans 5.20 says this, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where the sin 
but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so grace, might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Another passage, verse, we find in Acts chapter 13, 43. It says, now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And that's what I'm doing this morning. I'm trying to persuade you all to continue in the grace of God. Not start, but continue. And to realize and remember what you already know, that faith is a key factor in experiencing the power of God in our life. Now I want to move to verse uh, to 1 Peter 5, verse 10. It says, but the, great, but the grace, excuse me, but the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. What I've been talking about this morning isn't all fun. There's suffering that goes with it. When you give up yourself, give up things for yourself, when you uh, uh, become vulnerable and allow yourself to need to give up things for the good of others, it's, it hurts sometimes. And this can actually be just simply things in the flesh that we want and desire that we have to give up. The flesh uh, cries out sometimes. He's not always dead. And so he voices his opinion. I like it. I don't like that. I, I want this. But for the higher good of God's spirit at work in our life and the grace of God allowing us to show love and, and, and live out the gospel, sometimes the flesh has to experience some pain. And so he says here, after you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen you, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And then he goes on in the next verse to talk about uh, Savinius, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein ye stand. He was looking back at Savinius' uh, example of love. <clears throat> Now a warning from 1 Peter 5, 8, an admonition. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. You wonder sometimes why you have to face these challenges. Why are you finding yourself needing to reconnect? Or, or why are you facing these temptations that make it so difficult to to uh, feel this peace that you want. Satan's at work, tempting, challenging our, our uh, motives, challenging our love. <laughs> and he says, be sober, be vigilant, be careful. In verse 9, he says what to do. Whom resist steadfast, how? In the faith. <laughs> this thing of faith is so critical. And there's a verse in John that says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What did I say about knowledge? Has important, how important it is to our faith? Faith comes by hearing. We need to have our ear tuned to the word of God. That's, that's our, our weapon. <clears throat> the word of God is our sword. It's how we defeat the enemy. It's knowing the promise of God, knowing where we are with God. 
Knowing the grace of God is powerful and is available and is, can work and does work. It's faith in these realities that give us the victory that we need for, against our adversary. Verse 10 in, in 1 Peter 5, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen you. I already read that verse, didn't I? <clears throat> it goes on to say, to him be glory and dominion forever. Are you part of that glory and his dominion? Do you feel like you're on the outside looking in sometimes? Well, that's part of what we face at times. But as we take the challenge to realize that knowing God and reaching out and calling on God and reaching into the word of God for truth and for an understanding of, of how much God loves us, those promises are real. God means them, and he's able to deliver on every promise he makes as long as you stay connected by faith. So if you need to, uh, need to fortify your faith, look up the verses on faith. That's one place to start. But go to the word of God. And let the Spirit of God, who's right there, wants that connection stronger, is able by grace to make it happen if you simply yield. Yield your, your right to your own personal reasoning and trade it in for faith. And God can bring you out of the mire and set you on higher ground. And you can find yourself where God wants you to be. God bless each one of us.